Well, good morning. I'm going to invite you to stand and join us as we sing together this morning.
So, Megan, I'm just going to ask you two questions, okay? Number one, do you confess truly that you believe Jesus is the Lord of your life? And do you believe that God raised him from the dead after paying for your sins on the cross? All right. Well, upon your profession of faith, Megan, as my sister in Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's take a moment to pray together. Lord, we are just so humbled, so honored, so thankful uh, to be able to experience this gift of salvation in another believer. Lord, thank you for the joy that is in heaven, celebrating what is happening in the life of this precious soul. And thank you that we can celebrate with her. And I pray that we, as a body, as a church, would gather around her in love to celebrate her, to walk with her, to guide her, and to help her as she seeks to follow you in everything she does. We thank you and we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning to you. It's so good to see you. Uh, as you can tell, every time it rumbles hard outside or lightning strikes, we end up in the dark. Uh, we've had some electrical issues throughout the church today. Uh, so uh, just be advised that uh, we're watching all y'all in the dark back there. Um, so if y'all y'all want to start smooching on each other like this is the movie theater, we're gonna be we're gonna be calling you out. But it's good to see you. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, we especially want to say uh, a welcome to those of you that are our special guests. Thank you for being a part of this worship service today, and uh, we pray that uh, God will use our time together to be a blessing to you. Uh, I hope that whenever you came in, you picked up uh, a bulletin or were, were handed a bulletin. Uh, please make sure you familiarize yourself with all the different announcements that are here. Each one of them are extremely important. Uh, the only one I want to call your attention to that's inside of the bulletin is that our homecoming is coming up uh, next month. Uh, we'll have uh, Jack Little with us, uh, who will be our, our guest preacher and Brother Jack has been with us before, great man of God. Uh, they are actually, right now, him and his family, I think, are out in uh, uh, Branson, Missouri, singing uh, at one of the, uh, the big conventions they have out there. Uh, but be in prayer for Brother Jack as he's preparing to come and be with us. That day, we will have our uh, homecoming meal. It will be a catered meal. But we are asking that, if you will, to help us out by bringing desserts. And uh, we, would, uh, we would appreciate that very much. That would be a tremendous help to, to us. Uh, one announcement that's not in your bulletin that I want to make is that if you are a uh, kids' church worker or a nursery worker for the coming year, the new church year, that actually starts next Sunday, by the way, um, if you did, have not picked up a copy of the schedule that you need uh, we have those schedules for you. Um, Whitney has them. Where are you going to be hanging out after service? So somewhere up here? Okay, so if uh, you are a nursery worker or a kids' church worker for our new church year and you do not have your schedule in your hand, uh, you have not picked one up yet, Whitney will be down here at the front to, to give you that at the end of service today. And I believe uh, Nancy has an announcement that she would like to make as well. 
And Gospel Choir, if you will come on up to the choir loft while I'm talking to folks. Just want to let y'all know, it's hard to believe, but one week from this Wednesday night, we start practicing our Christmas cantata. Um, seems hard to believe when it's, you know, feeling like it's about 100 degrees outside, but it is time. And I just want y'all to know you are all invited, no experience required. Um, if you're interested, if you could sign up in the back in the vestibule, you'll see my Christmas table with the sheets out there, and you can sign up just so I kind of get an idea of who's coming and what parts you're singing. Uh, we will rehearse on Wednesday evenings. It's 7.30 in the choir room. Um, and it's open to anyone, even if you've never sung with us before. We'd love to have you. If you have a friend who uh, maybe doesn't come to this church but would really like to sing during Christmas, bring them. We'd love to have them. And if you've got any questions, feel free to contact me at any time. For uh, being here today, we're going to take just a moment to pray again, and then uh, our gospel choir is going to lead us as we sing. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, how good it is to be in this house of worship on this Lord's Day. And we just pray, Lord, that uh, during our time together today, that uh, all the things of this past week that, uh, that, that still kind of plague our mind, all those things of the week to come that are already calling for our attention, that for this little while, Lord, we'll be able to set those things aside, that we'll be able to turn our eyes toward heaven, that we'll be able to, to focus on who you are, and the good God that you have proven over and over and over to be. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being in this house of worship. We pray, Lord, that everything that we say and do here today will be in accordance with your divine will and for your great glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank for this day. Thank for the many blessings you give us, dear Lord. Thank you for the rain that you uh, blessed us with this week. Uh, dear Lord, now comes to the time uh, we uh, just give a small portion back to you, dear Lord. Uh, and bless it to the kingdom to you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to receive today's message, I invite you to please stand as we continue to worship through song. And now I freely 
arms of Christ, my Lord, let your grace raise from your hand all on us. Lord, let your grace raise from your hand all on us. Let we may be saved. Let we may have life to find our way in the darkest night. Let your What amazing and, and what powerful songs to be able to sing and proclaim. Yes, having celebrated the, the wonderful time of, of baptism, but even as, as saved believers, that we have been saved by grace. We are redeemed by grace. We are bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And, and that's something that only true believers can sing. That's, that's a song that is very limited to its people. And yet we count ourselves so fortunate to be among those who are 
who are able to sing and proclaim that we have been saved and redeemed by grace. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter number 2. As Pastor Tommy preached a kind of a standalone message, I have a similar standalone today. And next week we will begin, as he alluded to, a new series entitled Greater. A new series entitled Greater that we will start next Sunday. But for today, 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse number 18 and read down through verse number 25. The Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Children, it's the last hour. And just if you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. Let's take a moment to pray together. Lord, we pray that you would still us. We pray that you would quiet us. We pray that in even the stillness of this moment, every last rustling of our heart, every last wandering of our mind, you would bring peace and calm. Tune our hearts toward heaven. Set our eyes towards you. We pray with your servant Moses. Show us your glory. Reveal to us who you are. Show us what you would have us to see. Speak to us what you would have us to hear. Change within us what needs to be changed. For you are our God. There is none other. So Lord, we give it to you. Do as you will. If it helps and encourages us, so be it. If it convicts, 
if it challenges, if it pushes up against us, let our prayer still be, so be it. Lord, this is your time. Do as you will as we continue to pray with Moses. Lord, show us your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle John, he writes this letter to kind of combat an issue that the church in this time was facing. This issue we know as Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism and the Gnostic beliefs, they believed that physical or material things were evil. They, they would hold no material things really in, in tight possession. Anything of the, the physical realm itself was completely evil. Nothing was good. And they also believed that God, He is so incomprehensible. He, he is so great that He is truly unknowable. There's no way for any person to know a God who is this mighty. There's no way for someone to know a God who is this grand. He, he is so incomprehensible, He is completely unknowable. They also believed that Jesus was either 100% God or he was 100% man, but he couldn't be both. He was either a, a divine being here among us or he was just another man, but he could not be, as we call him, the God-man. They believed salvation in its entirety only comes to people who have super spiritual knowledge. Which comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. Salvation only comes to people with, with super spiritual knowledge. If you don't have it, if you don't have this, this, this supernatural, this this unearthly knowledge, you can't have salvation. And this super spiritual knowledge leads them to know, apparently, this God who they claim is unknowable. This false teaching was spreading throughout and even becoming to places where it would infiltrate into the church. There were many people who were being deceived as the, the heresy and the false teaching was, was spreading around. And the church was truly under attack. John saw that the church was in desperate times. The truth is today is no different. There are still false teachings being spread around us. The church is still under attack, under fire. The truth is still being compromised. 
as John writes this letter, he, he writes to, to reassure the believers, to reassure them of the true gospel and of the true salvation that they've received. We need the same. We need the same reassurance of the true gospel and what salvation really is. What is the truth? Church, if we are ever going to survive the desperate times that we are in right now, we must, it's non-negotiable, we must take our Christianity and our discipleship seriously. And it has to be both. It, It can't be just, I know I'm a Christian, or I know I do discipleship. It is a both kind of a deal. It's not where you can pick and choose how you're going to survive. You survive the desperate times we are in. We have to take Christianity and discipleship seriously. In the passage that we looked at, the moments left with us, I want us to see how John offers three truths that we have to regard concerning how to survive these desperate times. The first truth he reveals to us is the extreme concern. The extreme concern. Twice within verse 18 that we read together, John says it is the last hour. This is a phrase that is uh, known only to John. John is the only author in the entire Bible to use the phrase the last hour. And now he says it to us two times. Usually as we talk of the end times, we as believers rejoice. Because we know what, what comes. We know that when, when the time is truly fulfilled, that Christ will descend from heaven with a shout. He will bring the church with Him and we will usher into glory to worship at the throne of our God. We rejoice. We know because Christ is coming back. However, The hope of Christ's coming back does not eliminate the reality of the evil and the wickedness of false teaching. Just because we are hopeful in expectation of the time where we finally come face to face with the one who died for us. We cannot forget of the reality that we are in right now. It doesn't change this. In fact, John even tells us that we know that we are in the last hour. We know it because many antichrists have appeared. In talking of looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, you know he's coming because there's evil around you. You know he's coming because there are people lying all around you. You know he's coming because the gospel is being torn apart by people all around you. And notice that John is not saying that the Antichrist, singular, has come. But he says, many, many Antichrists have come. These are his forerunners. These are those who are preparing the way for his grand entrance into the world. 
people who are already spreading lies, evil, and wickedness. And be very careful to note the word many. Such a simple word. But at times, we deceive ourselves. Church, I am here to tell you I've been there myself. We deceive ourselves thinking that most people around us probably know and are Christians. But John says there are many out there who are not. There's many out there. Uh, Don't be deceived. Don't think that just because you walk out there and they have the name Christian on a t-shirt or just because they walk into a building that says church. Church, don't let that deceive you. There are many antichrists. Jesus even warned his disciples of this. Jesus says in Matthew 24, for many, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And he goes on to say, many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Notice John says, John does not say, let me say it that way. John does not say that there are many out there spreading good news. He does not say there's many people out there preaching the gospel. He does not say there's many people pointing people to Jesus. He says there's many who are pointing away from him. There are many who are trying to deceive them. There are many who are trying to mislead them. There are many who are trying to send them on the way to hell itself. Yeah, but Brandon, we live in the Bible Belt. There's churches all around us. There's people in, in all of my circles that I know are Christians and they go to church and I know that they're saved. And everyone I talk to, they, I know that they're a Christian. But don't forget, even in Locust, North Carolina, Stanley County, you'll hear people talking of many truths. You, you believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want. You stick to what's true to you, and I'll stick to what's true to me. You hear of people saying, you believe in your God. I believe in mine. I've even heard people tell me to my face, you call your God Jesus. I call him something different. Same God. I just call him something different. We... Essentially, we just believe the same things. There's just a couple of of matters of difference. John is warning that these false teachers, these false teachers, they're just the beginning of what's yet to come. It's just the beginning. Brandon, I've known this person my whole life. You don't know them. They go to this other church. And you probably know their pastor. You probably have heard some sermons from that church. You've probably encountered them somewhere. There's no way. How would I ever know? How in the world could I ever tell if they were never truly saved to begin with? Well, John tells us, verse 19, they went out from us. But they were not really of us. In other words, they sat in these church services. 
Some of them may have sat in these exact pews, in this exact church. They sat through Bible studies. They went through discipleship groups. They sang in choirs. They were baptized. They took communion. They served on committees. They signed up to go out on mission trips. They read their Bible and they prayed prayers. They looked the part, but they were not really in it. What happened to so-and-so? They used to sit right across from me. I remember seeing them all the time. They don't answer my phone calls. They dart away from me when they see me in public because they know I'm going to ask them to come to church. What happened to them? They were not really of us. Which leads to our understanding that just because someone may profess to know Christ does not mean they possess Him in their heart. Just because someone can utter the name Jesus does not mean that Jesus is within them. What happened? Well, what happened to these people? Why did they leave? Well, number one, they left because they were never saved at all. Number one, they left because they know they didn't belong. But John also says they left because God drove them out. God drove them out so people could mark them for who they really were. Those are the target people. Those are the people we should be after. Not the people who are sitting here. The people who aren't here. Who need to be here. Those are the people that we need to go after. There's concern all around. False teachers. People leaving the church. People being deceived. The gospel being under attack. If John was so concerned in the 90s that he wrote this, if he was so concerned to write this to the people that he knew and he loved, then why, church, are we in 2023 not as concerned now? What happened? We've lost our concern. We've, We've lost our motivation. And we are deceiving ourselves if we think we are just fine. Oh, we got enough people here. I, I saw my friend. They're, they're sitting over there. I know they're here. They sat beside me in Sunday school. I know they read their lesson. I know they engaged in prayer. I know they engaged in conversation and dialogue. But here's the truth. We are still in desperate times. We are still under attack. It hasn't left. And Satan wants the church to think that there is no concern for the church. That we are good to sit here and listen to someone preach for 40 minutes. And we deceive ourselves. Because we think we're fine. Oh, but Pastor Tommy and and Brandon, I know you guys preach the Bible. I I know Nancy sings songs that, that preach about God. I know she says that. 
I know we have Sunday school classes that, that point people to Jesus. I know that we have Sunday school classes that, that reach out to the community. Doesn't change the fact that there is still lies and evil right outside our doorstep. Doesn't change the fact. This is the extreme concern. It is the last hour. The age old question. If you knew. If you knew. You had 24 hours left to live. What would you do? John says guys. Time's almost up. Time's almost gone. He's coming back. Which leads to another point of application. If John believed in the 90s. The same John who stood at the foot of the cross and watched Jesus die. If this same John believed that in the 90s, Jesus was about to come back. Then where has Satan got us to think? Ah, we've got a little bit more time. We've got a couple more years. There's, There's no way he's coming back anytime soon. John says it's the last hour. It is, it, John's not saying, guys, don't worry. I'm just telling you this because you got a little bit of time. You can prepare. He says, be ready. This is concerning. And you need to be concerned. John also points us to the emphatic comfort. The emphatic comfort. He speaks in verse 20 of the anointing. That we as believers have. We call this anointing and refer to this as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This truth and doctrine that, that as believers saved by grace, bought by mercy, that God sends to us His Spirit who indwells within each of our hearts and each of our lives to convict, comfort, guide, and teach us. We have this. John says to the believers, you have God within you. You have his spirit with you 24-7. He's never leaving you. He doesn't go on sabbatical. He doesn't take a lunch break. He's with you. You have this anointing. And John says that, that since we have this, we know the truth. Because you have the Holy One You know, this truth, simply put, the gospel. We we have the truth within us that, that God in heaven loved us enough to know us by a name, to know all of our sins, all of our faults, all of our errors, to send his own son to pay the punishment for sin that we could never pay so that we could have a relationship we could never earn on our own efforts. That's the truth that we have. We know it. It's in us. 24-7, 365. Jesus himself even said to to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the truth. (laughs) He's the truth. And it also stands, however, that, that if you know the truth, if you know what the truth is, then you automatically know what's not true. 
If you know what is true, you know what's not true. Because what is not true contradicts what is. Truth and lies cannot coexist. Just as light and dark cannot coexist, neither can truth and lies. They're polar opposites. And so here's the comfort that we have. That that even though we live in desperate times, even though we live with, with concern on our minds, even in a time and age full of evil and full of wickedness, we can stand firm because of our knowledge of the truth. That's how we resist. That, that's how we stand. Not because we just simply believe we're saved. Not simply because we come to a church service. But we can stand because we know the truth. We know the gospel. And we know the God of the gospel. In fact, the God of the gospel is even with us. All the time. And so we can stand in the time of evil. We sang the hymn, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And so it's, it really just points us to, to the truth that because we are standing on the true rock, on the rock that doesn't move, that we can stand firm in the face of evil. We can stand firm even facing lies and wickedness. Because we know the truth. Again, how do we know what's not true? It's anything that contradicts the truth. And if the truth is that that Jesus came to die for your sins, then anything, anything and everything that takes away from his all-sufficient centrality in all things is a lie. Anything that takes away from Christ. A well-known, self-professed pastor is known to have said this quote. I happen to know people who are followers of Christ in other religions. I know people who follow the same Jesus I do and they, they're not a Christian. They bear a different religion. They go to a different type of worship. They, they do different things. And, and they claim a, a, a different title. But I know they follow Jesus. How can you claim? How can you dare to say that you follow Christ, the Christ of the Bible, and worship someone or something else? How dare you say that? Oh, but they're a good person, Brandon. They read the Bible with me and I pray with them. They may not pray with me, but I'd pray with them and they listen to me and and we do all these things together. It doesn't matter. They are not following the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says, I am God. There is none other. There's none who stand beside me. There's none above me. I am God. And there is no other. Anyone 
or anything that contradicts or replaces the truth of Christ and Christ alone is of the spirit of the Antichrist. Point blank. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, therefore, I make known to you that no one, no one speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Because the indwelling Holy Spirit within you guides and teaches you and leads you to the truth. Jesus. The true Jesus. Here's our comfort. We know the truth. We know what is right. And we can stand against all evil. And church, the greatest testament, the greatest testament of a life given to God is one that confesses Christ. Not simply just say, I believe in Jesus, but confesses it, shows it, proves it. John says in verse 23, the one who confesses the Son has the Father. There's our comfort. There is our hope. The one who confesses the Son has the Father. And that's the greatest testament of a life given to God. You can point me to every person who has read the Bible ten times front to back. But if their life does not confess Jesus is Lord. What were the ten times for? The one who confesses the Son has the Father. There's our comfort. That we have the truth of Jesus Christ. John has pointed us to the extreme concern and the emphatic comfort. And lastly, he points us to the eternal consequence. And now in verse 24, John turns his attention really to the true believers. Up until this point, he has been pointing out the false teachers. He has been pointing out the heretics and all the lies that are around. And in verse 24, John says, as for you. Now it's, a, now it's your turn. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. Namely, the gospel. The truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If we're not careful, we miss what John is saying here. To abide. It's more than just a place to dwell in. It's more than just John saying, just let the Bible sit here. Just let, it, just let it sit there. What John is saying, to abide, means to be rooted deeply in. To be anchored in. So what John is saying and what John is exhorting these believers and even us right now. Is to have the truth. Of the gospel so rooted and so anchored deeply in the very depth of who we are. That's what it means to have the truth abiding in you. It means that at the very core of who you are. 
When people try to dissect you apart and really discern who you are, your identity is Jesus. Because He is your life. And when that truth abides in you, you abide in the Father. And if you're abiding in the Father, you abide in Christ. Because your life is found in God. In God alone. Eternity is not based on what you know. It's based on who you know. To abide and have the truth abiding in you means that you truly know Jesus. And He knows you. Many people know about Jesus. You can go to almost anywhere in Locust and and talk about Jesus with someone and they can carry on a casual conversation with you. You can even mention the gospel and they may be able to chime in and speak on things of that nature as well. But because the truth does not abide in them, they don't know Christ personally. They can only talk so much about Jesus and they can only mention so many things about the gospel They don't know Jesus. And see, here's the truth. The gospel, the gospel is not simply just about Jesus. It's not simply just mentioning Jesus or talking about a cross. Jesus is the whole of the gospel. He's the whole of it. The gospel is not simply just about him. The gospel is centered in him. He is the true gospel. Jesus. It's not about what you know. It's who you know. We hear it all the time. One of the most heart-wrenching passages in all of Scripture. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. In your name perform many miracles. In other words, they knew the right things. Jesus says, they're going to call me Lord. They're going to know who I am. They're going to profess with their mouth, hey, you're Jesus. And they're going to say, look, we knew you. We did all these things. We even used your name. We even sang songs about you. We read your word. We prayed to you. Don't you know us? And I will say to them, depart from me, you who work iniquity. I never knew you. It's not a matter of what you know. You could have someone who has read the Bible a hundred times over and memorized every word in it. From the very beginning to the very end and can just quote the Bible in entirety to you. And that person, without knowing Christ, will still die and suffer eternal punishment. It's not about what you know. Let the truth abide in you. Don't let it merely just grace your ears or grace your eyes. Just don't let it simply be a a one-time thing. 
Let it abide in you. Let it encompass all of who you are. Because all of eternity rests in the hands of the one who orchestrates time itself. The one who holds eternity in his hands holds yours too. Let it abide in you. John reassures. And he reminds us of the eternal promise. The eternal consequence that's at stake. Eternal life. And notice John says in 25. It's the promise that he made to you. It's, John's not saying. I'm going to tell you what you're going to get. If you believe in Jesus. I'll tell you. John says. Jesus has told you. What the promise is. Eternal life. Kids can quote it. John 3.16. The words of Christ. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him. Shall not perish but have. Eternal life. There's the promise. Jesus. As he prays in the garden. Moments before his arrest. He prays this. Father the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh. That to all whom you have given him, all believers, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life. That's the promise. The promise is you will know God forever. And he will know you forever. That is eternal life. Is eternal life being able to enter into the gates of glory? Yes, it is. Is eternal life being able to go to these mansions that Jesus has prepared? Yes, it is. Is eternal life being able to celebrate at the marriage feast of the Lamb? Yes, it is. But furthermore, uh, foremost and most importantly, eternal life is that you know God. That's eternal life. Those of us who hold the true gospel in our hands, in our hearts, in our lives. We hold with us life and death. And church, how selfish, how selfish are we being to hold the gospel and not share it with someone else? How selfish of us to say, I know I'm going. <laughs> I know I've got it. And I'm just going to hold on to it. Eternity hangs in the balance. And there are people out there who need eternal life. How selfish if we just hold it to ourselves. Church, we're in desperate times. We're in desperate times. There's no way around it. There's no way to kind of hide it. So I want to propose before you two questions. Number one, do you know the truth? 
Do you know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? Do you know him so personally, so intimately that all of your life is encompassed around him? Do you know the truth? If not, you can come to know him. He's right here. He is in this room waiting for you. He knew you would be in this room at this exact moment at this exact time. And so plan to meet you here. What are you doing with the truth? Those of us who have it. What are we doing with it? Are we allowing the truth to live in us? Are we allowing it to abide in us? (laughs) And here's the truth. Can't do it just on Sunday morning. (laughs) The truth can't live in you one day a week. Life is 24-7. Ask me how I know. I'm still here. Allowing the truth to live in you means that you have to be in some form of discipleship. To be a part of small groups, Bible study groups, Sunday school classes, daily, regularly reading in the word, daily, ceaselessly praying to your Lord. Every moment in worship. And every chance you get fellowshipping with other believers. Are you truly engaging in discipleship and taking it seriously? That's how the truth abides in you. That's how you allow it to live in you. You say, well, Brandon, I come to church all the time. Brandon, I know I read my Bible. Brandon, I know I do all these things. But are you allowing it to live in you? Just because you're doing it doesn't mean you're allowing it to stay there. Are you allowing it to live in you 24-7? Are you sharing this truth with other people? There's a world of people out there who do not know the truth. And how many, how many people has Satan convinced you're good just to sit in your pew? Don't worry about going out there. Just bring your Bible to church. You're, you're good. You can read it in the morning. You can pray before you go to night. You're all right. You're good. How many true Christians has Satan deceived into not sharing the gospel with people out there? We're in desperate times, church. We're in desperate times. If John believed it was urgent enough to do something about it, why aren't aren't we? It's time to stand up. It's time to take action. It's not too late for us because we are still here. So what are we going to do? We're in desperate times. It's time to do something. Let's pray. Lord, you knew. You knew my heart going into this. You knew the burden I had as you placed this on my heart. Continue to convict me. 
Continue to push me, Lord. Lord, move within this church. Move in this community. Show us where we need to go. Show us who we need to talk to. You've already given us the words. You've already given us your gospel. You've given us of your son. Lord, whatever it is that's in front of us, holding us back, remove it as only you can. Encourage us, even in the midst of our conviction. Show us where we failed you, Lord. And grant us yet another opportunity to go out. It's not too late. Lord, we know that you can do mighty things. We've seen it happen. We've seen revivals. We've seen salvation. We've seen your spirit move. In the desperate times that we're in right now. Help us see your spirit again. Move us, Lord. Move us from where we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us?
Amen. Thank you for being here again. Um, one quick thing I want to mention. Um, if you have already signed up to be a part of the discipleship group that starts in September um, or are still interested in being a part of that, uh, would you just meet me right down here, right front, um, as soon as we finish so I can get your materials to you um, before you leave today? And uh, I want to close our time with this closing benediction. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. May he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.